Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Olark in San Francisco, California is looking for a senior UX designer. And here at Revision Path, we're looking for staff writers. So check out the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, MailChimp Hover and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. You can join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. MailChimp has also recently announced MailChimp Pro, which is a powerful set of new tools for MailChimp that include multivariate testing, compliance insights, delivery insights, a whole bunch of great stuff, and you can even use it with their mobile app. So sign up today for an account at MailChimp.com. Do you need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. They also search a lot of interesting and new top-level domains, so if you're looking for something that's a little bit out of the ordinary, definitely check out their domain search. I found some really cool domains that are a little bit more expensive than maybe a .com or a .net or something, but they make a really nice impact for like branding and stuff like that. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today. Use the promo code GIVETHANKS and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2 per item. They give away a selection of free goods every week, and they've got great bundle promotions every month. They actually just wrapped up on the November Big Bundle, so I hope you were able to check that out. So head over to creativemarket.com. If you see something else that you like, use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. We are still holding steady 27 patrons right now for a combined total of $192 per month. Again, can't thank the patrons enough. Huge thanks for all of you that have already pledged your support and appreciation for the show. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month. All right, now for this week's interview, I talk with creative director Shannon Washington out of Brooklyn, New York. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Shannon Washington. I am a creative director based in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. On the work side, well, everything I do is work, but on the office side, on the professional side, I'm a senior creative director at an agency called Invent. There, I essentially create live, integrated, and digital experiences for a host of brands like Intel and Time Inc. and so forth. Before that, I was a digital creative director at Gray here in New York, focusing on beauty and lifestyle brands like Pantene and Pandora. But in addition to that, you know, that is what pays the bills and it's something that I love to do, but I also lend a lot of my talent to independent brands like Eden Body Works and local brands in my neighborhood, just helping them with content strategy and essentially getting their name, you know, beyond the five blocks that we live in. I'm a traveler. I'm one of the women behind parlormagazine.com and that is a digital travel destination by black women for black women. I'm a feminist which is kind of cool. <laughs> I created a project called Feminist Enough a few years ago, which is a video storytelling project. But overall, I'm a creative director. Like I'm one of those people who by lunch will have an idea, by dinner will write it out. And then by like 3 a.m., she's like figuring out its web presence and writing copy for it and designing its logo and whatnot. I just love, I love to see my ideas come to life and I've actually, and I still can't believe it, been able to make a living doing that. That's awesome. I want to talk about how you first 
got started? Like, what was your, I don't know, I guess I'm thinking almost like this brown sugar moment. Like, when did you first fall in love? (laughs) When did you first fall in love with design? It was through hip hop, you know, really. I have been a lover of design before I really even knew it was design. You know, like I grew up in a super musical house with a lot of vinyl. And so what I would do is I would always get into like the lighter notes and, you know, playing records and I wasn't supposed to touch them, but I did anyway. But the thing that really, really drew me to records was the artwork, the way that, you know, the letters looked. Um, I didn't know what a font was. I didn't know anything about that. And this was, you know, I'm 35. And so this is like very early 80s. Right. I didn't know even like the way that a lot of that stuff was happening, you know, with photography and composition and things of that nature. I just knew that I really liked the way things looked. And I liked to organize the way that things looked according to how I would sketch things out or I would position, you know, even like dolls in my house and stuff like that. Like looking back, like I'm thinking about people like John Berg, who created some of the best album work in the world. And I didn't even know his name at the time, but that was really kind of like the onset. But I'm also the only child of a single parent who is still like a consummate overachiever in her own ways. And the same kind of attitude that I had around art and design, I also had around science. And so fast forward, I always did art contests and won (laughs) art contests and things (laughs) of that nature. My mom, I grew up in D.C. And so I grew up next to the Smithsonian, which is one of the best free resources for parents in that area because I went to South African beating classes and all that stuff on the weekends, which is in hindsight, I was basically being like really amazingly babysat, Mm -hmm. but it really brought out that in me. But I also loved science again. So when it came to go to school, I actually went to Howard as a physician's assistant candidate, which is essentially like it's a pre-med track, but you know, Uh You can either stop at PA or you continue to go into med school. And like a year into it, I was like, nope, <laughs> this is not. <laughs> I was like, I will kill someone. I already know it. But my elective was photography. And I was with a gentleman who I believe is still teaching to this day. He might be retired by the name of Winston Kennedy, who during a crit basically asked me what my major was. And I kept saying like, oh, you know, physician assistant, you know, I'm considering medicine. He's like, no, what's your major? And like on the fifth time, I actually got what he was saying. He was like, your major is art. You know, I can tell that's what you really love to do. And he even kind of called me out like, what are your grades like in bio and chem and all that? And I was like, you can't get a C in college. I very much was like, oh, I got a C plus. Yes. But I was killing like all of my creative electives. But it was one of those things where, especially when you're a first or second, the first or second person in your family to even go to a university like I was, there were a lot of expectations put on you to do really well and to do amazing, aka doctor, lawyer, engineer. And so going back to my mom and being like, so listen, I think I want to be a photographer. And she was like, I think it's crazy. And no, but again, she's a creative woman as well. And after really speaking to my would-be faculty on viable careers in this, design was one of the things that came up. And she knew that I'd always been a pretty creative kid. And she kind of trusted the faculty to kind of look out for me because they really did believe in what I was doing. A small little scholarship that they found for me helped as well. But that's really how it all began. And then on the flip side, and when I say music, I started doing flyers. Once I figured out my way around how I can get my sketches brought to life and I needed some money, mm-hmm. I became like the party flyer girl. Like I did flyers for every club in D.C. Um, <laughs> and I worked under like guys who had like their own like quote unquote businesses and stuff like that. But I was kind of like like the chick like doing flyers and whatnot in court <laughs> at that time, which is so weird to say. But that's how I really got started. And that's really how I learned how to hustle because I wasn't at a portfolio school, even though I was in a creative program, a lot of those resources weren't available to us at that time. And so I had a lightweight knowledge of agencies and I was in layout classes, but I was still being taught very, very basic. I studied with like Edgar Adewale and 
uh, Frank Smith and just really amazing artists mm-hmm. that really helped me vocalize and visualize what my point of view is. But really like the hustle of design and figuring things out and putting it all together and learning how to kind of represent myself came from like fighting promoters to get like my $80 for their flyers. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's true. It's true. Like I run into them sometimes. So this day and they're like, oh, can you hook me up? And I'm like, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was just about to ask. I think you, you kind of answered this. Like what did going to Howard instill in you? Cause you said that, you know, Howard wasn't a portfolio school. They didn't necessarily have the resources, but it sort of taught you some hustle. Is that right? Definitely. Like Howard definitely teaches how to hustle. You kind of have to hustle your way in and out. I'm sure anyone that you speak to will tell you about you know, just hustling your way through the administration building and hustling your way to your graduation. And <laughs> you know, I didn't know if I was going to graduate until like literally three days before I walked across that stage. Whoa. And that was all due to me having to hustle some things about an elective that I didn't take and I didn't know I needed and all that stuff because I was also supporting my way through school through design, really. I worked in hospitality, but at night I was coming home and I was, by that time, I was working on independent magazines and all this stuff and really learning programs and things like that really on my own and then applying that. I even had Howard as a client, which was weird, applying it to my surroundings. But Howard definitely taught me two really basic things, which is hustle and in the hustle sphere, really having to depend on myself for literally like things like eating and really the power of your network and treating people with kindness and the power of a thank you, the power of a kind word, because it is a very small network in that way. And we really do look out for each other on that campus. But if you're an asshole, like people are not really going to do that. And so really learning how to navigate tough situations, but still come out with, or through a bit of tact, come out on top and come out with a community that was looking out for me. And I think you'll find with a lot of Howard alumni, we definitely pay it forward to new alumni and new people coming in and writing recommendation letters and things of that nature, because we know what you're going to be up against when you graduate. And Howard is very, very good at being very realistic about the world that you're about to walk into, which Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people get about HBCUs. And maybe Howard is just different. But I was readily prepared for the world coming out of that school. What was kind of your first, I guess, big break into the industry after you graduated? Well, I had moved to Brooklyn. I got fired from, I love to, I don't think I've actually said this in public. I got fired from Foreign Policy Magazine, <laughs> which was my first job out of school. It's What happened? I was an asshole. Uh, <laughs> I did not believe it. It was like, it was a little bit of, you know, me being a bit at that time, not really understanding of bureaucracy in that way and office politics and just being like, but why this, this looks bad. And people, yeah. you know, and not having at that time the tact to be like, Oh, okay. That person requested it. Okay. So let's figure out how to, you know, make it work within this. Back then I was so young and the mentorship I had later on in my career, I hadn't had yet that really helped me with this, but I would just be like, no, you know, like this is horrible. And then just overall the culture, it's a Carnegie Institute publication, the editor-in-chief, I think, was like the former finance minister of Venezuela. I had no idea what I was doing there. But um, Travis, I forgot his name, who was my art director, he really kind of believed in my talent. And he was like, I think you're really good. And it just didn't work out. Whatever. After that, I moved to New York. And I moved in with a really wonderful young lady by the name of Kissa, who owns a company called Butterfly Unlimited. And I created a flyer. And on one side, it was like all of my flyer, you know, like all of my graphic design services. And on the other side of that was it was something for her business. So we kind of went on it together and we put it because back in the day, like this still was maybe MySpace, but Twitter definitely and Facebook definitely wasn't around yet or public. And so we just did what everyone else did, went to every coffee shop and bar and whatnot and put up these flyers. And I just started to get these calls. And one of those calls became a personal client that I still have 
whose work was actually seen by someone at basically a friend of a friend. And that person's name was Todd Triplett, who is a wonderful creative director, I believe now at Beat. And he had a magazine called Free. It's not a long story, but you'll see how it makes sense. It basically was a journal of Black culture. It was amazing. People still contact us about it. We did, wow, maybe like 10 issues or whatnot. But it was just a beautiful visual statement of what Black creativity is through writing, through long-form content, through illustration. Fuse Green was um, heading the creative of it. And I came in with the structure and I knew how to lay out and kind of get it all together. That was seen by a gentleman by the name of Carl Carter, who I knew from D.C. Because, again, I was doing flyers for a promoter that he was working with because he was promoting way back in the day. He had just gotten hired to run the marketing leg of a company called Current TV. That was a cable network started by Al Gore mm-hmm. a few years ago. I remember And basically that. was like, I need, a, I need a designer. And so they were like, you should holler at Shannon. And I was like, I'll go to San Francisco. <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> you know? Yeah. By this time, I was, you know, was living on my own or whatnot. But I kind of gave up, like, this New York life. Like, I had worked in freelance at, like, Rockaware and Essence and all these other places just as a designer. But... I wanted someplace with A, more stability, and B, an opportunity to really create something versus creating someone else's vision. And I swear, like, if I hadn't created that one little flyer about myself two or three years prior, I would have never gotten tapped by Fuse, who was good friends with Carl, to go out and submit myself for this job at Current. And then from Current, working with advertisers or whatnot, I started to learn the world. And that was it. After Current, I went straight into traditional agency models. So that really was kind of like my really backwards entryway into this whole thing. So you've worked at kind of a lot of of agencies and, and you've worked with a lot of big brands and stuff as a creative director and as a strategist. What kind of excites you the most about creative direction? It is a bit cliche, but kind of like solving the problem. Mm -hmm. But there is a bit of kind of like mental, visual, creative Jenga that happens when you're trying to figure out, you know, how to either follow along or dismantle or figure out a brief, right? Which is essentially a statement of problems in a lot of ways. It's definitely that. But to be honest, as I've grown as a CD, especially directing teams, I love the brainstorming process. I think it brings out a lot of things in people. I learn about my team members. They learn about me. There's a lot of sharing that happens within that process. You know, you can kind of tell a lot about a person. And I like to witness that. That's, and, it, you know, it leads to great results. But the actual ideation process, whether it's happening within me and I'm bouncing things off of people that I like to bounce things off of or the research that goes into that, just that whole process of figuring out, okay, the what if, what if this happened or what about this or that, 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 especially in a team environment, that is one of my favorite things about this because I'm able to look at it a little differently as a CD than I was, say, as a designer, which is cool. Mm-hmm. You kind of get like a, a bigger scope of what the project is about yeah. as a CD. Yeah, because I'm not a CD in a sense where I don't rule... There's a lot of kind of CDs out there and there's some like I'm pretty hands on in a sense where I'm not going to like sit on the couch and like pontificate and have like my team figure it out. And then I present it and that's it or just kind of like direct. I'm more so like, okay, let's sit in the room and figure it out together. All right. okay, you need help in figuring this design problem out. I'm going to give you this and then you can go out and like figure the rest out. Like I still like to work. Yeah, but I don't like to. But within that work. I understand the role of sometimes me as not even a leader, but as a teacher. And a mm-hmm. part of that is I have to let people work as well. And so I like when everybody is kind of figured it out and gotten their engines going. I love look, kind of stepping back and watching it all come together and still guiding it. But I love to see people kind of take chances. And I try to create an environment where people really do feel empowered to do that without mothering, because I don't believe in that either, but really just not be one of those things of, well, what does Shannon think? It's really, well, what do you think? And why do you really believe in this? And then I want you to help me understand if I don't. 
And then if you do that, I'm going to fight for it with you. Like, I love that whole kind of yeah. process. How do you think a designer can level up to becoming a creative director? Is it just about sort of getting the right project? Are there certain skills that they need to kind of grasp that they may not necessarily have? It's just a, a rank and file designer. What do you think? Oh, I hate that term, rank and file. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't make this I didn't mean it in that, like, you know, like day in, day out. But you know what I mean. They're, they're yeah. maybe a junior designer or, or just someone that is tasked with sort of production type work, not necessarily mm-hmm. more of the creative type stuff. Well, to be honest, I think the number one thing is you need to figure out if you want to be a creative director or not. I think that in some agency cultures and some creative cultures, there is this, there is a bit of a hierarchy per se, but there's this social hierarchy of, well, you know, I'm a creative director and so I am the captain of this ship and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, if you're the captain of a ship, you got like four people rowing for you. And if they're not rowing, your ship ain't going nowhere. I think it's really looking at what being a creative director entails and figuring out if it's for you. I work with designers my age who can design circles around me and they are like I'm a designer a designer a designer and I respect them the same way I respect my CCO my VP or whatnot because I respect their level and love for design and what I'm getting at there is like you have to kind of see through the titles I'm a creative director because I am very very good at really the overall process of creating an idea, bringing it to life, figuring out who needs to be in the room and really kind of guiding, defining, sometimes triaging that process. Like that idea stage and then the execution stage, really rolling my sleeves up. But before I was a creative director, I was a designer. I was a producer. I was an art director. I was all these other things before I figured out that this was the best route for me. There are some people who are amazing designers and that is all they want to do but sometimes they get caught up in thinking that I need to be a creative director. I don't think that I personally don't think that that's the case but unfortunately within a lot of traditional models we work in that whole like you know you get hired as a junior designer and then you become a designer and then you become a junior art director and then an art director and then an associate creative director then a creative director and then you get to a point and I've had some colleagues do this they still want to design so much, they end up kind of overpowering their teams, are, yeah, overpowering their teams below them. And it's like, well, well, I'm doing this because I thought I had to do, to do that. Mm-hmm. That's definitely number one. And if you do want to rise, I guess, quote unquote, rise to the ranks or get to the point of being a creative director, I think the number one thing that you're going to have to realize is that I started off as a designer and then I started writing and then I kind of became a creative director, right? That was my path, but my path isn't going to be your path, not at all. And with that, there was a hard realization that I can't do everything and I would have to manage people. I can't necessarily just think about myself on some projects. I have to take in consideration of my team. Mm -hmm. Sometimes as a creative director, I'm tasked with hiring and then sometimes even letting go and making a decision to let go of someone figuring out is someone's salary that they're asking for or raise that they're asking for along with HR or whatnot, you know, making a recommendation of, yes, this person is quote unquote worthy of a 3% raise or something like that. The management of people is something that you're either really good at or you're not. And that's fine. But if you're not, it's good to say that you're not. So somebody else can step in and do that. But that's something that a lot of people, especially creative people, struggle with. There is a little bit of a checks and balances. Again, depending on the type of shop that you're in, that comes along with that title. On how to do it, I think the number one thing is to always make your intentions known without kind of being like what's annoying about it, for lack of better words. But well, younger creators that I work with where I'm like, I know you're going to be a CD one day. I can just tell. But it's really based on making your intentions known and then saying, well, how can I better communicate X? How can I better figure out this problem? Like asking, like, I love when people do ask me, like when it comes to concepting or kind of taking our ideas and coming up with an overarching strategy or whatnot, how do you do that? It's a hard question to answer, but it shows me that you have some interest in that process. And 
that is one of those things that I'll remember when it comes to, okay, we have an opening for an ACD. Do we want to pull from the ranks or do we actually want to bring someone in new? And if I know that you have that interest and you're willing to kind of work for it and kind of realize that you will be directing other people, people will be, things will be filtered through you and you can begin what that process is like. I'll consider you versus bringing someone else in. But the only reason I'll know that is that you've made that intention known to me. You get me? Like it's, it's kind of of like stating it out and saying without, even if you say like, well, you know, I want to be a creative director one day. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that there's anything cocky about that. I think that it is very, very helpful for the person that you're talking to. And if they're really secure within themselves, they're not going to look at you as competition at all. It's more so like, okay, all right, I'm going to help you get there because I may have to work with you one day or that can actually do very well when I need another creative director or whatnot, or I might need to replace myself. And I've been in that situation and it kind of makes it a lot easier for me too. And so it's kind of like you have to like state your intentions, but you have to know what you're getting into. It's not just the money. Cause I know that again, I know designers who make word me, but that is a craft and a passion that they have chose to really, really hone in on. I know lifelong career art directors that are very much like, I still want to kind of like be in the work. And that's kind of like where I want to lie. And, and with a little direction, a little bit of creative direction, but they're really in that space and they own that space and they love it and they're comfortable with it. And then I know people who are just brilliant creative directors and that's how they thrive. Now, out of all of the projects that you've worked on and all the brands that you've worked with, which one to you kind of stands out as like, as the coolest one that you've done? That's a lot. That's a loaded question because I really do like everything that I do. I will say overall launching the cable network was pretty cool overall. And then when I worked on creating and launching Societe Perrier, that overall was just such a great project because I really got, it pushed me in terms of kind of respecting the producer role because I was in that role unexpectedly for a minute. The power of my creative network really came to life and figuring out like, oh my God, I need a shooter in Miami in 30 minutes and, you know, (laughs) making that happen. And again, it all goes back to, you know, how you treat people. And so they're going to think about you a certain way when you need something, you know, that was an amazing project. And it really, um, because it connected it doted on things that I really do honestly love, like nightlife and music and culture and food and wine and things of that nature. And aside from that, it's hard to say, like, call them out one by one, but I have really loved every, okay, two things. One, I have really loved every beauty project I've ever worked on. It is something that I still am very passionate about, but I love that it was a great learning for me seeing like how these campaigns come to life, executing campaigns on my own, extended content, things of that nature. But also what it did was, I think, open a few doors for women like myself in that space or just people, people of color in that space, because I was able to bring in crews and talent and recommend people that I just kind of knew to like work on major, major pieces of content for a brand. For example, like Amy Vega, El Saloncito, she had a few, some buzz on her own, but she was just a brilliant nail artist who still does my nails in Washington Heights. So I was like, you want to do this Maybelline video? And they're all going to be designs done by you. You know, like that was something that Maybelline was very much like, oh, this is great. But what it really did was, I think, kind of give, not give permission, but really give validity to looking for talent in alternative spaces. Because at that time, you know, she didn't have an agent per se at like a beauty house, beauty representation place. But it was like, oh, wow, like this was able to happen. And to watch that happen and to watch her flourish has been like, honestly, one of like, one of really one of my greatest joys and seeing her kind of thrive in that way. And then I think lastly, because it's hard to name a project, but I will say one thing that I'm really the most proud of, because I survived it, was all the Ciroc work I did with Diddy. And I won't go into details, but I survived it and I did it. And I, you know, <laughs> I was. Survive is that's an interesting choice like of word. Literally a month straight, I did not sleep. And I will never recommend that to anyone again, but I was entrusted with this idea. And I was entrusted to go out and, you know, 
seek the directors and work with the directors and write with them and concept and figure things out and be on set and have to tell this, you know, amazing person, like, by the way, you need to do that line again. And like, I was thrust in this position that I'm still like, it still kind of like makes me chuckle, like, oh, they entrusted me to do that. But that's kind of like what a lot of people say in the sense of you kind of, if you're given an opportunity, you kind of just do it and you kind of learn as you go. It's not like fake it till you make it, but kind of. And mm-hmm. I had never really manned a spot before on my own. I always was working with somebody. I always had an ECD or as an art director, I always had a CD that I was supporting with, with a script or with boards or whatnot. And I did, you know, like smooth off and all like the um, Soraka, smooth talk with Diddy and all that stuff those are riffs or whatnot. And it was like, okay, now go make it happen. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. On the outside, I'm like, yes, I'm gonna make it happen. On the inside, I was just like, like literally (laughs) was like melting. But by the time we got on set and we were shooting, and I remember coming back to my hotel room at night, like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And it was great to work with the talent that I work with. And, you know, he definitely isn't a walk in the park to work with, but I respect him. I just seeing his work ethic. I definitely respect it gained a new level of respect for that. But I really gained a new level of respect for myself because I did it. And I was in, as I heard, overheard, like, who's the black chick talking to everybody on set? Like, that was me. And yeah, I walked away with maybe a few less pounds, but I walked away with a great piece of work in my reel. And I'm really proud of that. Something that you sort of touched on earlier was about looking for talent in alternative places. And just recently, you spoke at the Women's Freedom Conference. Uh, You were on a panel. And some of the things that were being talked about were about diversity and things like that, what companies need to do, what brands need to do, et cetera. But the thing I think that stuck out to me the most that you were talking about was this sort of need for them to understand, I guess, why diversity is important. Because it feels like there are so many people talking about it now, particularly with in technology, but also in advertising and in design. And it just doesn't feel like it's clicking yet, if that makes any sense. Like, it doesn't feel like they're getting it yet. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that I'm not going to pit advertising against technology, because I think that's kind of hustling backwards, but it is a hotter topic. Bridging the diversity conversation within advertising and marketing would be also calling out a lot of major fails that have been done by a lot of companies. And I don't think that anyone is really ready to go down that road, to be completely honest. Looking in alternative spaces to foster diversity is one of the kind of reactions that I had to what, in my opinion, is kind of very bad mathematics. Okay, so let's approach this from a strictly consumer angle, right? If I'm selling apples, and I know that most, like the best apple eaters and the best apple shoppers are black women. Like they are like team apple, right? Mm-hmm. I may make an apple commercial that features black women. But the thing that always pickled or like got me was, well, shouldn't we actually have like when we're in this room talking about apples and everything? Wouldn't it make sense to actually have that room not look completely like our Apple consumer, but have some either really, really authentically informed decision-making by that Apple consumer, or she's involved in the process in some way? And that was the disconnect. It was the rooms that were creating essentially culture, because I don't think a lot of people give what we do a lot of credit in the sense of how a commercial can have an impact on culture, and that has been proven, right? Right. But in these rooms, and this is a larger conversation, but within these decision-making kind of hubs that we have, they oftentimes, well, it depends on the the project, really, but you have a lot of instances where that room looks nothing like the people that they're actually talking to. And they may think that they're talking to a Midwest white male apple eater without realizing are knowing, are caring that the biggest apple eaters are living in Atlanta and they look like me or whatnot. And it became like, it was a bit of a missed opportunity, you know, like, wait, like, I wonder why, because it always would dawn on me, like, why aren't we really in this space? 
we're sitting here thinking about how to market a product to a community of quote unquote, say like young people who love hip hop and who worship a lot of things that have been created out of urban culture. And I don't like to use the word urban, but you know, out of black culture, let's be real, out of black culture. Right. But why, so if we're doing that on one level, but the people who are creating that, I'm not going to say don't have an appreciation for that, but are definitely aren't reflective of that. And it just always kind of blew my mind. And so what I started to do, even on my own, was when it came to new writers, new talent, art directors, illustrators, like I would go to ridiculous spaces. Like I remember, you know, I was trying to find a freelancer, I was trying two freelancers for a project a few years ago, and I went to Tumblr. I was like, I don't want anyone, I don't want any calls or creative circle. I don't want places that are picking from traditional verticals, traditional barrels. I Mm want to go out because, again, on Tumblr, on Twitter, at gallery shows in my neighborhood, on Facebook, on, on the street, I'm seeing such a vast crop of creativity from young people of color that I'm always like, that's great. Do you know how much money you can make as a creative director? Let's talk about that because you need to be doing this for all this <laughs> other stuff. Uh-huh. And that tends to be like the conversation that kind of like lets me know like, oh, I could do this. But there's such a misinformation about what marketing and advertising is. People think that you have to go to school here and do this and da 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 da, da. And I didn't. Yeah. And I work in it. And so that is to me, to just to bring it back to what you originally asked, that is the key to like what real diversity means in these rooms because it's more than, okay, we've got like our black person, we've got our South Asian, we have a Norwegian, we are amazing. It's more than that. <laughs> it's more so, do you have diverse cultures, but do you also have diverse classes? Do you have diverse schools of thought? Do you have diverse passions in these rooms to give you a full rounded point of view on the best way to sell this graham cracker because that is actually going to be because everyone's going to have or this apple to go back to that everyone's going to have a different view of what this apple means to them mm-hmm. but can we use that to own it up to something that everyone can enjoy including like the number one apple eater but it can actually again turn it into a cultural moment and that's what we all kind of seek to do as creatives well it's like you said on your website you can't fake fresh yeah <laughs> I mean, you can't. Let's switch gears kind of a little bit here. Who have been some of your mentors? I know you mentioned earlier Todd Triplett and Carl Carter, but who are some people that have kind of also helped you along in this industry as you've grown and taken on more bigger projects? Oprah? No, I'm just playing. My mentors, mentors. Well, there's definitely people like Christian Borges who really did not run when I was like, hey, you want to be my mentor? And he was like, all right, fine. (laughs) But, you know, he's been a definite, he's definitely been a Yoda for me when I needed one, especially navigating, like the higher I've risen, kind of like navigating what that whole kind of realm is like. Creatively, I would say that there's people that I've definitely looked up to, like Fuse Green, who actually coined that term, you can't fake fresh. Okay. And just his work has always been a big influence on me. And working alongside him and watching this process really, really helped me become very comfortable with breaking a lot of rules. I would also say that witnessing the work of Michelle Willems, she, she's actually a friend of a friend, but watching her work as a creative director even from like, I knew her before I knew her. She designed the um, cover of Stakes is High. Okay, okay. Um, but like, again, like she was like this very kind of like free-spirited woman designer who I very much was like, oh, I want to be you. But like watching her kind of like rise. Michaela Angela Davis is another person who I used to and still do sometimes look for from a creative standpoint and just kind of like an overall kind of like figuring it out standpoint. And the interesting mm-hmm. thing there is that I looked to her for some mentorship when I was, when we were actually working together at Essence and I became her daughter's mentor, which was the craziest thing to me. Wow. And so now like we have like this generational kind of thing of mentorship, but um, I would say those, and then to be sentimental, really my mom. And I think she did a lot of mentorship for me without doing it, without being a mom per se, but watching my mom earn two degrees 
with me and kind of try to figure out how to make it work and still have me looking good and clean and fed at school and then turn around and still be an executive, but embrace her love, which is singing. And now she's a successful jazz singer in the DC area. Like, watching her like do a complete 180 without stopping anything but just saying you know what this is a part of my life that I'm going to do and mm-hmm. I don't care what anyone thinks and I'm not too old and I'm going to be amazing and look at my dress like watching that is it lets me know that no matter what this isn't the end for me and whether I want to go back to just designing or I want to open a flower business I can still do that too and so it's not the end for me being a creative director so that's been cool you mentioned two personal projects that you work on. One is Parlor, the travel magazine. Mm-hmm. The second one is Feminist Enough. What is your, I guess, dream project? Like, what's something that you would really love to try to pull off that you haven't done yet? I would say it's rooted in Parlor in a way. I want to wait. No, like, I want to wake up and do nothing. No, that's my dream project. That's impossible, too. <laughs> but I love the way that Parlor has been able to fuse one thing that I do love, which is travel, still through a very feminist, a very kind of like to-date lens. And so when we talk about balancing, say, for instance, balancing career and travel, that speaks to an overall conversation of just balancing, which is something that I think a lot of people just strive to do. But if I had to funnel all of that into my dream, it would be, I don't want to say a shop because... That's always been like, you know, everybody's like, I want my own agency. I want my own shop. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want that because I just know what it that's, takes. Yeah, that's a whole, that's a that's whole, whole other kettle of fish. Other, <laughs> you know, way of thinking in the sense of like things I have to consider. And I don't know. I honestly don't know if I'm there yet. But I will say something to that effect. I don't know if it is my own shop, but definitely creative house of some sort that is creating engagement, creating content, creating culture, if you will, for brands or for not or for schools or whatnot, that is based in the passions of people of color. Like it's something to that effect. I haven't figured it out yet, but I think I'm getting there. So sort of like a creative collective of sorts. Yeah, a creative collective still, you know, really based into like a lot of shop ethics and things of that nature, but a roving house of in place where creatives can be matched with brands, partners, supporters, collectors in one place because as a creative director, that's kind of what you do anyway. If you're identifying talent and things of that nature, you're kind of bringing people into the fold, but that's just through the lens of a job, right? I wouldn't want to do that through the lens of a shop. Okay. I got you. What is the creative scene in New York city like for you? I don't know. I'm busy. (laughs) (laughs) The scene, it's definitely changed. I think it's very vibrant. I think it's, it has become, to be honest with you, it has become a little bit of a, what's the term, like see and follow. Mm-hmm. You know, I see a lot of things that look like a lot of other things. It's derivative. Yeah, definitely a lot of derivative work, a lot of I have to do this, I have to do that. And so it's really refreshing when you see like work, any type of creative work that is really from a singular point of view. And it's faster than I think it used to be, which I struggle with. And not in terms of like, People thinking that they have to produce faster, that they have to get the show going, that they have to be a creative director two years after college, which I'm like, okay, all right, fine. There is a sense of kind of like need it now that I'm happy I didn't come up in and it was good for me in that way. But overall, I think it's if you open up your eyes to everything and really, really learn from what you know and learn from what's coming, it is a very vibrant scene. It's not as intimidating as a lot of people think it is. It's extremely based in your network, though. And so that may be a bit of an intimidating factor. But there is a lot of there are a lot of nurturing people in this scene. There are a lot of people who really do care about, you know, the validity of the artist and the work. And though it can be a little clickish, I think that even that is based in, in love in a way, because people really are looking out for each other and really looking out for like their own kind of nest, if you will. And so you kind of have to respect it and just kind of really let the work speak for itself. But there is kind of like this drive to be hot, which is kind of like, if you look at it from a physics standpoint, like a flame will burn out the faster it will burn out at the same time. And so I caution people against like the need for hotness like right away versus 
the need for development, creative development, figuring out where your creative voices and uh, working on that and knowing that you may not be hot today for 10 minutes, but you may be hot tomorrow for a year. And that's better to me. What would you say are kind of your next steps of growth? Like in the next few years, where do you want to see yourself going? I know right now you're at Invent. Where do you kind of see your role growing from here? I know this is going to sound crazy, but I've never even like, I'm not going to say I try not to think about that, but I really do try not to think about that. I mean, life changes aside, I definitely see myself growing, even within this agency, growing possibly a department within this agency. But overall, I think the world is my oyster. I think about walking away from this industry every day and I don't do it out of because I'm tired of it, but I'm also like, okay, well, what else do I want to explore? Like, yeah. And so whether, you know, I move to do parlor full time and still consult and things of that nature, I'm still trying to figure that out. And I'm comfortable to be honest. I'm very comfortable in not having that figured out. And I think that what it does is it keeps me on my toes. It keeps me creative. I'm not, it took me a while to figure out that I didn't need to be on the track of working for five years, do that, get married, da 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 da, da move here, ba 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 Like, I've been able to avoid that, and I've been the happiest doing that. And I'm set up for the, you know, the immediate future, but long term, I could, again, I could have my own shop, I could be at another agency. I want to go where the work is making me the happiest and where I'm able to continue to kind of, like, make my own happy, make my own, create my own hype in a lot of ways. So it's wherever that allows me to do that. Or if I have to do it myself, that's what I'll do. Speaking of, of keeping you on your toes, I have one more question. And this was before we kind of close things out. But who would you like to see me interview for the show? Ooh, it has to be a creative person, right? Like a, a designer, developer, like someone that's doing maybe some, some of the work that you're doing along those lines. Who do you think? Hmm. I would love to see you interview... Alan Cole. Okay. I've interviewed Alan. Okay. So, all right. Because <laughs> um, I love him. I do love that boy. And he's from Maryland like me. So we're amazing. They actually went to the same high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was a freshman. I was a senior. I'm showing my age. But he was dope. Though. He's not a designer, but he is a brilliant writer. And he's been able to put people in very amazing places. I'm going to name off a bunch of people to you. I'm going to name okay. Daryl Crook. Okay. I met Daryl recently. Yeah. Daryl and I came up together. We were both kind of like baby designers in this game a long time ago, like when he still lived in, Mar- um, in Brooklyn. There's Fuse, okay. Bobby. I don't know where Fuse is, but I know Fuse is in New York somewhere. This is just amazing. He is just an amazing, creative person. And then when you said, have you interviewed Darian yet? Alan? Darian. Darian Burks. Darian Victor Burks. You know, I have not. See? Oh, Alan, Alan did mention him. Alan did mention him, but I haven't got a chance Darian. to reach out to him yet. Darian's approach to illustration has always blown my mind. And his love for music and how he's able to kind of bring it together. And he has an amazing eye. And so I would think, but to tell you the truth, I'm trying to, to be honest, I'm trying to think of a woman. A woman. And it just speaks to the fact that there's one woman, a very young lady, that I do miss working with every day. And her name is... Astrid Aduhar, I believe that's her last name. Okay. She is a art director at Gray, and she is literally, I'm, I will probably end up working for her one day. Aduhar, that's her last name. I will work for her one day, probably. <laughs> well, Shannon, this has been, I mean, this has been a really great interview, but just to, you know, kind of put a bow on it and wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you and more about your work online? You can always go to my URL. It's my name, shannonwashington.com. You can always, like, Instagram, Twitter is the same, at shanboogie, that's at S-H-A-N-N-B-O-O-G-I-E. Sometimes I post work there, sometimes I don't. It's mostly, like, my dog and coffee and reality TV. But I do actually talk about work. (laughs) No, I do. On Twitter, I do accept questions and comments, all types of things, especially from people looking to get in to the world that I'm in tend to be very open on that platform and letting people know kind of, you know, the best ways in depending on the situation that they're in. If you do see me in the streets, please do not be afraid to say hello. If I look mean, I'm probably thinking about my grocery list. I'm not a mean person at all. (laughs) Just really have like, what is that? That rusty bitchy face problem. 
but yeah, that's the best way to reach out to me. And if I don't get back to you, it's not that I don't want to get back to you. It's that I'm doing 15 million things, but I will get back to you. You're busy building your empire. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Shannon, thank you so much again for coming on the show. This, I mean, I, I've been taking notes, you know, as we've been doing this interview. And I mean, there's just so many important nuggets of information that I hope when people are listening, they will get from it. Just thank you again for coming on the show, for sharing your knowledge and for just being an awesome, creative person. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for having this platform. And I will say that I was late to the party in it. But, you know, looking at some of the people that you've interviewed and I really love what you're doing. And so I'm really, really honored to be a part of it. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Shannon Washington. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Shannon and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes out to email marketing, MailChimp makes it simple. They've got great reporting and autoresponder features. You can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free with no contract and no credit card required. So check them out today at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover and save 10% off your first purchase by using our promo code GIVETHANKS at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, which is a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. So head over to creativemarket.com, pick up those six free goods that are available for free every week. And if you see something else that you like while you're over there, use our discount code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Band Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating, five stars, and a great review. It really helps us get new listeners. It helps sort of bump us up in those iTunes rankings. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and consider becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels are super affordable. Again, they start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.